All right. Very good. Amen. Well, it's been it's been often said there are only two kinds of people in this world. Two kinds of people in this world. There are people who accomplish things, and there are people who claim to accomplish things. The first group is less crowded. That's a famous quote. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who remember your birthday and those who do not. Right, Cyril? Happy birthday, brother. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who use Apple and those who use Android. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are left-handed, they use the right side of their brains. And there, there are those who are right-handed. They use the left side of their brains. And it's been said that the left-handed people are the only people in the world in the right minds. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are extroverts and there are introverts. There are people who talk too much. And there are people who don't talk enough. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who talk to you on their spare time. And then there are those who spare time to talk to you. And then it's been said that there are three kinds of people in this world. Three kinds of people in this world. You ever hear that statement? There are people who get things done. And then there are people who never get things done. And then there are people who have no idea what needs to get done. We have those kinds of people all over the place. In church, at work, which one are you? There are three kinds of people in this world. People who have helped you through difficult times. There are people who have left you at difficult times. And then there are people who have put you through difficult times. Amen? There are three kinds of people in this world. People who are great at math and people who are terrible at math. I mean, there are so many of these whimsical sayings. We hear this often. You know, these whimsical sayings, they're dichotomy, trichotomy sayings that basically divide up our world into, into a few categories of people. What's the purpose of all these whimsical sayings anyway, besides humor, besides sarcasm? They show us the way that people think, the way that people behave in this world, but even more, they show us how people respond differently to the things in this world. I'll say that again. All these whimsical sayings, two kinds of people in this world, three kinds of people in this world. The purpose of those statements are to show how people respond differently to the things in this world. <clears throat> now, in our passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, we'll see that Jesus actually defines that there are four kinds of people in this world. Not two, not three, but four. That's right. There are actually four different kinds of people who respond to the word of God four different ways. There's only four different ways you can respond to the word of God. One out of four ways. Before we dive into our sermon, uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another uh, beautiful Sunday that you have made. Uh, Lord, we are deeply convicted and of our wretched and sinful life. Uh, we need a regular cleansing of our sin by the washing of your word. That is why we are gathered here today. At the same time, we are deeply convinced of the sufficiency of Christ, our Savior, that he has completely removed and canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, and that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he removed the guilt of our sins far from us, as far as the east is from the west. And we thank you and praise you uh, with all our lives. We work now, we ask the Holy Spirit that you work in our hearts a greater loathing and disgust for our own sin and our own pride. As we look into your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you search our hearts, O oh God. See if there be any offensive way in us and lead us into your everlasting way. We pray all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, church. It's been about seven months now since the king of viruses, aka the coronavirus, 
has completely changed our lives. It's taken over our daily schedules and changed the way we live. Seven months it'll be uh, next week. And we're all still alive and doing well, praise God. And the question no longer is, uh, how are you doing? But the question is, how are you living? How are you living? For the past two months, we've been going through a sermon series uh, on Christian living. Uh, we begin our third month in this sermon series of Christian living. I have a special series. Uh, the first month of August, Pastor Rick talked about the foundations of Christian living, about uh, <clears throat> that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our Christian living, first of all. And then secondly, the purpose of our Christian living is the glory of God. We do that also by the commandment, the first and second greatest commandment, by loving God with, our, with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and also loving our neighbor as ourself. And then also by doing the work of the church, which is the great commission, making disciples of Christ. Who are you influencing and impacting with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are you making learners and teachers of Jesus Christ? Uh, all Christians are to be doing this, to be making disciples, not just the pastors and the pastor's wives. Have these things been the foundation of your Christian life these past seven months? And then just these past four quick weeks uh, in September, Pastor Raph took us through uh, primarily through Colossians 3. That's an indispensable chapter on Christian living. Indispensable chapter in scripture about Christian living. He talked about fight or flight, namely that we need to deeply consider the things today that we will stand for and fight for and the things that we don't stand for and fight for we ought to run away from as Christians looking at the hill that we ought to die on and ultimately looking at Christ and on the hill that he died on, Calvary, and how his redemptive work on the cross ought to impact us on the way we live. If you are truly saved, then your life ought to look like this. You will be chasing and seeking the things above. Those things are the hills that you will die on. And we do that by setting our minds on heavenly things. Constantly putting off the old self, constantly putting on the new self. Both the Pastor Rick's and Pastor Raph's sermons series were essentially a call to examine our Christian lives. A call to examine how you are living during these pandemic days. And this morning and the next three Sundays, I want to continue our series on Christian living. I want to call this series uh, Lessons on faith. This is part three of our Christian living sermon series. Uh, today and next week, we'll be looking at one passage which really addresses the issue of examining our hearts. I want us to examine our hearts before we dive into what is faith and what that looks like in the Christian life. On October 18, the third week of this month, we'll look at basic lessons uh, on, on faith. And then the last week of this month, we're going to look at advanced lessons on faith. And all these uh, lessons are in the gospel of Mark. We'll be studying in the life of Christ. So let's go ahead and look at our passage in Mark chapter 4. Uh, we'll, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 today and next week. <clears throat> and let me read our passage here. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'll be reading from the, new, uh, from the uh, English Standard Version. It says this. <clears throat> Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, produced grain, growing up and increasing, yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. 
And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 10, he says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside of everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And the, those, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And they do not have root in themselves but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. And accept it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Now, if you've never read through the Gospel of Mark, it's important to know that that the Gospel of Mark primarily focuses on the ministry of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry. It's basically a lot of action going on. Uh, Mark focuses on all the activity, while all the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, they focus mostly on the teachings of Jesus. And if you have a red letter Bible, that is all the words that Jesus speaks are in red letters, they're printed red, you'll notice that there are a lot of red letters in the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John, but hardly any in the Gospel of Mark. However, in Mark, we see this section here is a lot of red letters if you have a red letter Bible. In fact, there are two major sections in the Gospel of Mark containing two major teachings of Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 4, about the parable of the four soils, and then Mark chapter 12, when he talks about, or chapter 13, when he talks about the end times. Now, the first question we should ask, beloved, when we look at this chapter here on this long teaching of Jesus Christ is, why did Mark include this long discourse, this long teaching of Jesus, when he focuses entirely on the activity of Jesus, of his healing, and his ministry, and, and all these things? Why does he include all this dialogue all of a sudden? And I think the reason why he does this, if you read chapters 1, 2, and 3, you will see what takes place here, what's happening. There's actually a lot of people responding to Jesus differently. First, you had the Pharisees who respond in opposition. So much opposition uh, against Jesus, toward Jesus from the scribes and the Pharisees, always attacking him, always questioning the things that he does and that he says, always trying to trap him. Even the family members of Jesus were in opposition of Jesus, trying to restrain him, telling everyone that he's a lunatic. And there are people who think that they would not understand the words of Jesus but they do understand. And then there are people who think that they, that, they would, uh, that they would understand Jesus, but then it turns out they don't understand Jesus. They don't get him at all. And then you have multitudes of people who admire and follow Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what he does. They love his miracles. They love his healings, all the things that he has done. So basically, we have people who are enemies of Jesus, people who are crazy about Jesus. They're like the, the, the fanatics. The, and then we have those who are followers, disciples of Jesus. We have the enemies, the foes, the fanatics, and the followers of Jesus, if you will. At this point of the, the original of this letter, the original readers are probably thinking, well, why are we getting all these different responses differently, these different responses of Jesus and his word. Why are people responding differently in these ways? And so Mark includes this didactic section, this teaching 
section to explain that question. Even today, why do people respond to God's word differently? There's only four kinds of way, right? Four kinds of different ways to respond to God's word. Why? And this is what the parable that we just read teaches this one primary truth, that there are four different kinds of people in this world who respond differently to God's word. Only four different ways. <clears throat> the first three ways are actually a wrong way. And the fourth and last way is the correct way, the only way to respond to God's word. And this is the first parable that Jesus teaches among many other parables. It's been said there are at least 39 parables. They ain't counted all, but there's a lot. And so Jesus says that this is the most critical parable. He says, if you do not understand this parable, you will not understand the rest of the parables. This is the parable of the sower and the soils. He says in verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the other parables? And let me tell you, what are parables? <clears throat> parable, uh, the Greek word there, simply parabole, the prefix para, in, like in our English, it means alongside of something, like parallel. Uh, you know the word paramedic. It's those who work alongside of the medical doctors. That's the paramedics. You have the paralegals, those who work alongside of the lawyers. Para, alongside of. Parable means to lay something alongside of something else to clarify a specific spiritual truth. It's simply a way to make a comparison. A parable says, I'm giving you a spiritual truth, and to help you understand the spiritual truth, I'm going to put something alongside of it that compares to it. That's all it is. I mean, they, they, parables are simple stories that are intended to be simply laid alongside a spiritual truth to make that spiritual truth more understandable. These stories themselves are simple and clear. They don't need unique, special knowledge to understand them. You don't have to have some kind of elevated intellectuality. Uh, these are not secret stories with hidden meanings. They're simple, earthly, earthy stories. Simple stories with simple word pictures but profound spiritual lessons. Parables are like paintings. You guys ever gone into, maybe, uh, maybe some of you gone into an art gallery with a friend, right? The pre-pandemic days, if you will. You went into an art gallery and you and your friend are looking at this master painting and your friend might say, wow, look at this painting. It's amazing. You know, it's so powerful. Look at look how deep the, these shades of the red are and the orange and, and the lines right here. They really stand out and these shapes are here. And you look at it and you shake your head and you say, mm -mm, I don't get it. It's not too powerful to me. That's how Jesus' parables are. Many people will respond to his parables and say, huh? Um, I don't get it, Jesus. But then if you got the parables, then you are on the inside and then knew how to live differently because of it. Now, back to this parable of the soils. Uh, this parable explains not only the other parables, but it also explains the nature of Jesus' whole ministry that some people just get and some people don't get at all. Uh, this parable is just like Jesus' ministry. It has a double meaning. Anyone can hear Jesus, but not everyone hears Jesus. Anyone can hear him, but not everyone can understand him. You know, you scratch your head and you say, that's what, what is that? What's that parable about? That's what parables are meant to do. How we hear the word of God depends completely on the soil of our hearts. How we hear and understand the word of God completely depends on our hearts. The seed represents the word of God and the seed falls on the different kinds of soil. The soil determines what becomes of the seed, and therefore Jesus tells us that there are four different kinds of soils corresponding to the four different hearts. And the main point of this parable is all about the soils. Jesus is describing four different kinds of hearts in this world, four different hearts that respond to the word of God differently. Some that, some that get it, and most people that don't get it. 
The soil is the ground, the heart, the seed is the word of God. So we're going to look at these four different kinds of, of uh, soils today and next week on how people receive the word of God. The first heart is called the roadside soil, the roadside soil. Okay, this roadside soil, uh, in verse four, Jesus says, as the sower was sowing the seeds, some of the seed fell beside the road and the birds came up and ate it all up. Now this soil is the indifferent heart, an indifferent heart. It's a heart that doesn't care. In the ancient Near East, you would have little stone pathways that would be rows and columns throughout the field so that the farmer would walk down these paths and throw the seed from side to side onto the field. And you're going to have some seed invariably land on this little path that he's walking on. You're not going to get a good crop of seed that lands on the stone path. It's hard ground. Seed is not going to sink in. Birds will just come by, swoop, swoop it up, and eat it. And Jesus says this is exactly what Satan does he immediately comes and takes away the word. That's in verse 15. <clears throat> we are not interested in hearing from God. When the sermon begins, you just check out. You think about other things, other things that are more important to you. We're not interested in hearing from the Bible. It just seems like a waste of time. It's like when you get that that phone call, that mysterious phone call. Have you guys been getting more mysterious phone calls this uh, these days? I've been getting one. Uh, I keep saying United States of America. I'm like, that's a real general. I mean, yeah, this phone call is coming from United States of America, you know? And so you decide to answer it. You're like, why not? And then on the, the voice on the other side of the phone uh, says, hello, may I speak to such and such? And you kind of hesitate and you say, yeah, that, that's me. As soon as you identify yourself, the person who calls you just lays it on you. You know, their, their spiel, their sales pitch. They just keep talking and they keep talking. And you try to find a point where you can just cut them off and say, you know what? I'm not interested. I'm already good. I'm all good. And you just wonder if they're ever going to stop talking. And what is the exact nature and purpose of their call? And how do they get your number? And essentially, you just don't care what they have to say. You're just not interested, you know? It's nice to let them pop for a little bit, but then you're thinking, man, I could just hang up, hang up on them, but then they might just keep calling me back and just annoy me even more. And then you might have someone in your room after you end that phone call and your friend or your spouse might say, who, who is that that called you? And immediately you'll say, ah, there's nobody, telemarketing call. You don't even remember what they said, you know? I mean, 30 minutes later, you're not talking about what that person gave you, that message or that sales pitch. You're not sharing it with other people. You didn't analyze that conversation. You were not dissecting that call. You didn't chat about it with other people. It's long gone. You forgot about it. In fact, there was a general level of annoyance from that call. You simply forget it. There's nothing in that conversation that stays with you, that's important to you. And there are people like that when it comes to the word of God. When you're talking to them about Jesus or you're trying to give them a Christian book, you're trying to share the gospel with them. They don't care. They don't want to have a conversation about spiritual things. They want to get this conversation over with. You know, people like that, maybe people at your work, people at your school, maybe even people at your household and your family. There's people like that even in church, beloved. They don't see the point. They don't see any need. Simply, who cares? That's the indifferent heart. That's the first soil that Jesus talks about. Other people have a hard or a different heart because the whole idea, the whole idea of Christianity, it just sounds, it just seems so impossible, not possible. And, you know, they, they believe that the things in the Bible are just nice kid stories. You know, this man gets swallowed by a big fish. He's in there for three days and he spit out. Or maybe this man shoves all these animals into a big boat, a wooden ark. You know, all the animals. I mean, aren't these just fairy tales? Nobody believes in them, do they? I mean, there's no real value in these stories. I don't believe them, and there's no absolutely no nothing in that that will change my life. That's the attitude that they have. They say, if you that's how people why do people believe this mystical book of just fairy tales and dungeons and dragons? Are there dragons in the Bible? 
people argue they are in the book of Job chapter 40. But you see, you got to realize that it's the attitude that people have toward the word of God, the indifferent heart. They, they, they laugh at Moses parting the Red Sea and the people crossing on dry land. They laugh about Jesus walking on the water. Jesus didn't walk on the water. It's called walking on a sandbar. Jesus feeding thousands of people all at once. I mean, with a few fish, a few pieces of bread. Come on. Dead people being brought back to life. All that, all that talk about supernatural things. That kind of soil is a hard soil. The seed will not sink in. That is what Satan wants. That is a heart of unbelief. He wants to take the word away as quickly as he can. Now, we must remember that every Sunday at church, whether we get together at church on Zoom or Lord willing soon at together in the, as the body of Christ in person, there's always a spiritual warfare taking place in our hearts of everyone who goes to church. The devil hates that you go to church. The devil hates that the word of God is preached. The devil hates the, the, sow, the seed is sown into the hearts. And that he hates it when there's Bible studies in the middle of the week. When people go a study through the word of God, he hates it. When, the, when, your Bible, when your family does the Bible study, he hates it when you guys talk about the word of God at lunchtime. He hates it when you read a good Christian book. He hates it when you talk to other people about Christ and the gospel. He wants to sweep it up and take it away. People with a different heart, with unbelief, that is the first soil. <clears throat> the soil, the roadside soil, is the heart of unbelief, and there's such a great love for sin. And unbelief and love for sin is that what makes the heart dense and rock-like surface, where truth cannot penetrate the word of god cannot penetrate much less take any root this is called the stubborn heart and the bible refers to this kind of heart as people people being stiff necked you know the neck is really stiff it's a it's a symbol of stubbornness very obstinate they don't want to turn their heads hey look over here no i don't want to look over there the word of god will not move their hearts it has no effect on them this heart is oblivious. It's spiritually dead, totally susceptible to the schemes of the devil. This heart does not refer only to atheists or skeptics, but the people who oppose the church. Now, this also refers to many religious people who come to church and they worship every Sunday regularly. They have stubborn hearts. They have never received the word of God. They have never embraced the gospel. Stubborn religious people, just like the Pharisees, who think highly about themselves and their religiosity, they have completely missed the point. So focused on traditions and methods more than the word of God, more than Jesus Christ. They don't understand God's grace because they have never tasted it. Always attacking other people, always critical, looking at other people's sins and mistakes. They're dividing the church, malice, deceit, gossip. The book of Acts in chapter 7, Stephen is talking to these kinds of religious people. He was giving a testimony of his faith. They were stiff-necked people. He called them stiff-necked. And as a result, they stoned him to death. They did not believe the word of God that Stephen preached to them. And that is an indifferent heart, a heart full of unbelief and a love for their sin. Now, the second soil, beloved, is called the... Uh, is the soil of a superficial heart, the rocky soil. Verse 5, verse 5 says this, uh, other seed fell on rocky ground where it, does, where it does not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. There it is. It sprang up quickly because it had no depth of soil. When there's shallow soil and mostly a layer of rock, it's an itty-bitty itty -bitty layer of soil. But then there's a, a large layer of rock. There'll be no deep roots. And without deep roots, guess what? Vegetation cannot live long in a dry climate. The seed goes in right away. There's vegetation, germination. It springs up quickly. The sun comes out. The sun with the scorching heat. And then it fades quickly. The, the plant fades quickly. 
because it has no depth with its roots. So this soil, the second soil represents the superficial heart that is not rooted in the truth. And sadly, we see many people like this. Maybe for many, uh, for you young people, you've had a great experience at a Christian summer camp, or maybe even at a mission trip. You know, this experience on this one week mission trip that you went to, it brought you so much joy into your life. That's great. Or maybe there's a group of Christians in the church that helped you with your marriage. You know, other relationships maybe that you've had problems with, other Christians help you with these problems in your relationships. And there's this great experience that you have. You're joyful and you come to church and all the events and the Bible studies, but there's no real depth of the word of God in your life. You wither as quickly as you spring up. What does that mean? You wither as quickly as you spring up. When there is a trial that comes into your life, well, you disappear from church for quite some time, weeks, months. You don't really fellowship with the people from the church anymore because of this trial. You kind of, you kind of fade out. You know, how many people have you seen one day, that person's on fire for the gospel, right? They want to evangelize and conquer the whole world with evangelism. How many freshmen in college that you see that are on fire for Christ in freshman year, but by the time it's junior year or senior year, there's hardly anything Christian about them. You can't tell them apart from those who are of the world. When there's a trial that comes into their life with the soil, and if the word of God has not taken down root into the soil of their hearts, they will not last. They will not endure. They'll freak out to every single trial that comes into their life. They'll panic. They'll get depressed. They'll get bitterly angry. Every response that they have to their trials are absolutely entirely wrong and absolutely sinful. They have no joy. They'll be often depressed and angry. They're unstable in all their ways. That's how the book of James describes it about a person without faith. Unstable in all their ways. Tossed and driven by the the waves of the storm always changing in their mood quickly when the circumstances are changing quickly. You know, people like that. One moment, they're very happy. The next day, they're really upset because their hearts are rooted in circumstances and not rooted in the word of God. Their joy is based on circumstances, not based on the word of God. They, they hear the word of God. They quickly spring up, but they wither quickly when trials come. Now, don't fret if you, if you feel that you've been growing quickly in the Word of God. That's great. If you're growing quickly in your faith, that's a good thing. Not everyone who grows quickly in their faith crashes and burns, as described here in the second soil. But we must examine our hearts, beloved, and ask, is my excitement about Christ solely dependent on, upon events? And other people? Or is there a steady discipline in my own life? Am I feeding off the faith of, of others, like my parents, uh, my spouse, my mentor, other Christians in the church? Or in the quiet moments when I'm all, all alone, do I really know what I believe and why I believe it? Does my spiritual life require constant mountaintop experiences so that I'm up here and then when I fall down here, I need another mountaintop experience to get me going. Or am I rudely, root, uh, entirely deeply rooted in the truth of God so that during the seasons in my life when there's so much difficulty and trials, God may seem so far away and so distant, but you are so deeply in the, rooted in the word of God that you are able to get the riches and the nutrients and the water and the moisture from the word during the heat and the scorching trials of life. That's the, that's the tree by the, the waters, the still waters in Psalm 1. You do, not, you do not wither when the scorching trials of life come. And it's true. Yes, true Christians still get sinfully angry. We get sinfully sad. We get bored often, ungrateful. We have these boring Christian days in our lives. That's absolutely normal, but we're not always going to be, you know, we're not always going to be on fire for the Lord 
but we're going to have better days than other days. There's going to be a pattern of better days. The whole idea here that Jesus is talking about with this soil, this heart, is that when the seed springs up into a wee little plant and the trial comes, it completely withers. It just dies. In other words, as a true Christian, you do not wither and die when trials come your way. You do not disappear completely from the church. You don't keep hopping from church to church whenever there's a trial and you give up on the saints. You give up on the church. You give up on Christ. Jesus said in verse 17, those people, they fall away, which means they abandon the faith. There was never any genuine saving faith rooted in the word of God in the first place. Every person professing to be a Christian will find themselves in different trials through their life. Small, small trials, medium trials, large trials. And we can let these trials wash away the word that has sown into our hearts every Sunday morning or at the weekly Bible study or at the devotion you had at the quiet time. But we got to keep coming back to the word of God, beloved. We got to keep coming to his word again and again and again. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He says, if you abide in my word, then, then it should be then. Then you are truly disciples of mine. You see that word there, abide? If, you're, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. That word abide can be translated as remain. The, the verb abide has a noun form called abode, right? You guys know that old English word abode? That's a place where another word for home. The abode is where you dwell. It's where you reside. It's your residence. What do you do at your abode, beloved? You're there now. You put your feet up on your sofa. You relax. You rest. It's where you eat. It's where you clean yourself. It's where you renew yourself. You refresh yourself. You basically live there. You eat there. You sleep there. You abide in your home. You remain there. You may leave certain days, but you keep coming back. That's the idea of abiding, remaining. Likewise, you are to abide in the word of Jesus Christ. You're continually remaining in the word. You live in it. You think about it all the time in every aspect of your life. Everything that you do in your life is done with the word of God. You're living it out in your life. Maybe not perfectly, but you desire to do so. How do you know if you're abiding in God's word? If you're constantly thinking about it in every aspect of your life, in every relationship, and how you handle your relationships, how you handle your money, how you handle your possessions and your time. If you're constantly thinking about the word of God, you keep your mind in the word, and then you are remaining in the word. And remaining makes you a disciple. And by remaining, you know the truth. And by remaining and knowing the truth, Jesus says you are set free. The truth will set you free, as what Jesus says. Free from what, Lord? Free from the bondage of sin, free from the penalty of sin. But also the truth sets you free from anxiety, amen? Knowing the truth sets you free from anxiety. As Christians, we know the absolute truth of what's going to happen in the end of this world. We shouldn't have anything to worry about of what's going to happen to us. If you know the truth, if you know God's word, God's word then nothing in this world can cause you to worry. There's nothing that will cause you to be hopeless. The more truth, the more of God's word you know, your life will be built on the foundation, on the rock. Nothing can take you down. No storm in life. And the less you will worry. Now, there's a third soil. That's the weed-infested soil. Oh, my goodness, this one here. There's a lot of these. If you look at verse 7, Jesus says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop, nada, no fruit. Now, thorns, where are they? They're prickly plants, you know? There's little annoying things that grow among your grass, and you got to wear gloves when you pull them out. Weeds. You don't have to be a professional gardener to identify them. And what do they do? They destroy the rest of your, they destroy your plants. They destroy your garden. Now look at this. Can you guys, can you see a, a natural progression here in Jesus' description of the four different kinds of hearts 
we had the roadside soil, the first one, the seed, the word of God that lands on this heart, absolutely nothing happens. It's taken away by the devil. Now, the second soil, it's a little better. It's a little rocky, though. So the seed springs up quickly, but then it fades away because of the scorching heat. Now we have the third soil where the seed goes down much deeper than the second soil. And there's life that springs up, a lot more life. You can even say there's fertility. You know, there's a lot of leaves with this one, a lot of green leaves blooming. However, the heart in the, the soil, it's a thick forest of thorns and weeds. And so these thorns and the weeds, they wrap around and they choke out the life. They wrap around it and they choke out the life of this plant that, that grows. Jesus names two thorns that are particular in verse 19. What's the first type of thorn that he calls? He calls it the cares of this world. Now, I'm convinced that this thorn, the cares of this world, that is the worries of life, this is the single biggest problem in the vitality of the church. The thorn of busyness. You know, I got to get this fixed. I got to get this thing done. I got to do this thing in my house. I'm not going to make it to church today. We got too many things to do at, house, at our house today. So much yard work, the roof's leaking. You know what it's like to be busy. All of us, when we text each other, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I've been keeping busy. Basically what it is, right? A lot of busyness. We got to take the kids to the doctor's appointment. Haven't done my taxes yet. You know, we just had a, a celebration of this person's birthday party. You know, my kid's birthday, we had a birthday celebration. We got a lot of gifts. Now I got to write all these thank you cards. You know, I got to write tons of thank you cards. And I, I'm, I'm going to write the, a complaint letter uh, card to those, whoever invented a thank you card. There's emails, notifications, so many things, uh, so many bills to pay. You got a huge project to do this week. You know, you, you promised to help a friend build something, maybe a computer. Uh, you, you're behind on your wedding plans. You have exams coming up. Uh, you have this paper that needs to be done in just a few months, this large dissertation. Maybe you need, you study so much for your classes. You got a lot of phys, uh, physical activities you got going on for your, for your gym uh, routine exercises. You bring all your work home. Some of us work from home and we still have so much busyness. And that's life. That's, that's what life is. It's life is taking place. It's, there's no time. If, if, you know, I don't believe in luck, but they say if, if you get up in time, uh, if, if you're lucky, they say, you know, you might get up in time to read the Bible in the morning. But when you do, when you get down, you know, with the Bible, you plop it down, right? You open the word of God, you plop it down, your mind is spinning. You got so much on your mind about this, about that, uh, places to go, things to do, bills to pay. And whatever you read that morning, by the time you leave your desk and leave your Bible, you go out of the house, and you go on with your day, nothing, nothing fruitful came out of it. It didn't sink in. I'm like that too, beloved. I've got, I've come to my passage, my Bible reading, my Bible devotions that I've read many times, but I don't, I don't remember what I read that morning. Many mornings, Christians get up and they read the words. Afterwards, we get up quickly to the next things we've got to do. It's like a to-do checklist. We treat it like that. As I, I checked it, I finished my Bible reading. Many mornings, we do that. We quickly do that. Or in the evenings, whenever you read the word of God. And your thinking becomes overwhelmed, not with the word of God, but with all the busyness, all the things that we have to do throughout the week. And we're thinking, how am I going to get all these things done this week? We're not thinking about the passage we just read. If we do not set aside moments of rest, moments taking a Sabbath, a break from our work, if we have no moments of quietness, quiet time with the Lord, if we never have times where we can slowly digest the word of God, meditate on it day and night, if you never have opportunity to have lingering spiritual conversations with other Christians, the thorns of busyness and the cares of life will choke out the word in your life. You will be spiritual saplings. Jesus says the other thorn, what's the other thorn besides busyness? The deceitful, the deceitfulness of riches. Wow. 
We live in a very rich state, California. Whew. Houses, try to buy a house here in Northern California. My goodness, when I was a kid growing up, a million dollar house is like a castle. Now it's a two bedroom apartment. Million dollars used to go a long way. Now it's just so much money going around. The deceitfulness of riches. Why are riches called deceitful by Jesus? Why are riches deceitful? Well, because they don't last. Riches don't last. They don't give you that lasting security. They actually give you more. The more you have it, the more anxiety you get. And also, riches are deceitful because they can take your eyes off of Jesus. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The more you have to maintain, well, you got more things to do. The biggest problem with the riches is what they do and how they direct your heart. So this soil here, okay, this third soil represents a distracted heart. That's a key word. There's nothing wrong with being busy, beloved. There's nothing wrong with having these riches and possessions. But it, having these things, when they become the, the uh, urgent thing, when, they, when the urgent thing crowds out the important thing, that's when it becomes the problem. The soil here is distracted and is preoccupied with worldly matters. Think of your life as a spiritual car, right? A nice spiritual car. Many of you want to get a new car these days. And let's say you get one. You want a car with a strong engine that propels you, right? And this engine ought to be glory in Christ. It is joy in Christ. It is love for God and for his word. It is love for his people, love for the church. That is your engine, right? You start it up in the morning. And that's what's driving you forward and faster and stronger. Whatever kind of work you do, you know, it's driving you through your day. Glory in Christ, joy in Christ, love for God, love for his word, love for his people, love for the lost. Vroom, vroom, that's your V8 engine. Well, and riches comes into your life. Riches is one of the things that will easily supplant the engine, that wonderful engine that you have. You wake up in the morning and guess what? You turn on the ignition and the engine just doesn't turn over. It doesn't start. Because in your heart, you're constantly thinking about money. How do I get more money? I need more of it. I'm, I'm more in debt. How do I keep this property? I, I'm going to lose it. I didn't, I didn't handle it very well. How do I pay off all these debts? I got so much debt. How do I get a little bit more of this? How do I do a little bit more of my house? Uh, these desires for other things, they crowd out the word. So that you're no longer seeking Christ. You're no longer seeking things above. As Pastor Raph is talking about. You're no longer seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the engine that you're dri is driving you, it just kaplunks. And it's not the things that are the problem in your life. It's not having these riches that make it wrong. It's the preoccupation with the riches the preoccupations with all the things that we have. You know, we exert so much time and energy to get something that you want. And then you spend all that time and energy to keep that thing and to maintain it. And once you have it, and then you realize it, man, why, honey, why did we buy this thing? It's so much to maintain. Nothing wrong with having it. But if you want and desire these things more than you desire for God and his word, more than you desire Christ, you will kill the work of God that he wants to do in your life. Wow, it's the things, it's the time that takes to keep the things that chokes out the word of God. You know, these things, investments, real estate, a house, a boat. I'm part of this problem. Too many cars. You can have any and all of those and you can own all these things and do a great ministry with them. But if our energy is all of our energy is exerted to acquire them and to maintain them, there's a high possibility that we're preoccupied with the riches of this world, choking out the word of God in your life. Now here is the last, the fourth and last soil. Uh, let me give you this last point here. The last soil here is basically the fertile soil. 
This is the soil that is able to receive the word of God. We're going to cover this more uh, next week. Uh, I'm going to spend more time on it. We don't have enough time this week. But the fertile soil, this is the receptive soil, receptive to the word of God. Uh, Jesus describes it as one that bears 30, 60-fold, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold of fruit. Look at your life. Is it bearing fruit? Is there a lot of fruit in your life? Because this soil here represents the receptive heart that bears fruit. And that fruit is the mark of authentic faith, which is endurance. You endure through all your trials in life, beloved. We'll continue next week to see in a deep diagnosis of what the receptive heart does and what it looks like, what it means to bear fruit and what it means to have endurance. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for this wonderful uh, time in your word, looking at these four different kinds of hearts. I pray that each one of us will continue to examine our hearts uh, during these perilous days that we live in. A lot of things going on in our world, Lord, that's tempting that, to pre, that cause us to, to be preoccupied with, uh, with these things and this busyness and the cares of the world rather than your own, uh, than your word and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, many people may be indifferent to the word of God, not knowing that they've never received it. They have never received the gospel. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will give each one of us humble hearts, replace our hard hearts, any of us who have hard and different hearts, replace it with a new heart of flesh. Thank you for this wonderful parable, this truth, to help us examine our hearts. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word that causes uh, transformation in our lives. Bless uh, the rest of our day, Lord. Bring us back together next week. Uh, may this week be a time of growing in your word, a time where we can remove all the busyness and distractions and spend quietness in your life, in our lives, so that we can grow and love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.